good to see everybody here again. Um, I'm I'm actually am excited to to do this uh, to speak on kind of what we're we're talking about here. Um, I think Reggie has a cool idea with this sermon series about kind of covering the life of Jesus. So I think when Easter happens and we hear the story of Easter again, I think it's going to be that much more vivid um, and impactful for us because we will have essentially set up the context of Jesus' life and ministry, and uh, which I think, as we're going to talk about a little bit today, um, sometimes we can get away from uh, Jesus' entire ministry of his, his preaching, the things he taught, uh, the things he did in his life, we kind of just like speed through that and we land at the cross and the resurrection. I mean, no doubt that's a huge event that's uh, amazingly powerful and impactful. But if we kind of shortchange the entirety of the gospel and of Jesus' ministry and we just kind of jump to the end, uh, we miss some really important things. Um, so right now we're going to actually talk today. Um, the verse that we're looking at is Mark one. Uh, let's see what the uh, Mark one fifteen through seventeen. Um, or actually, it's Mark one fourteen. Sorry, um, fourteen through fifteen. Um, that's we're going to just focus on that. I think that's enough to chew on. This is uh, after Jesus comes out of the wilderness um, after being tempted. And this was right as he's kicking off. This is the kickoff of his, his ministry. And um, Mark says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so that's where we're going to start. Let's pray before we get too, farther, too much farther into it. Dear Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this family. Thank you for uh, your word and its ability to guide us and to change us and transform us into uh, a little bit closer to what you intended us to be uh, as far as your children and part of your kingdom. So as we talk about your kingdom and uh, what Jesus taught about it today, I just ask that you would make these words come alive, that they would be much, much greater than uh, the sum of my ineloquent uh, ramblings here, uh, but that we would all be able to walk away from this changed because of your power and uh, what you've done through Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray this. Amen. All right. So uh, this was, again, just after Jesus came out of the desert, after being... Uh, tempted, and this is, I think, a summary of essentially Jesus' message. This was his shtick as he went from town to town. He was saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the ESV version that I'm reading out of. And when I read that uh, recently, it struck me that he, he said, believe in the gospel, which when I was growing up, I was a thought that the gospel was Jesus died, saved us from our sins so that we could go to heaven. Like that was the message that I got from my church. It was a message I heard in all the evangelical kind of like the tracks of like 
you know, this is why we believe, or this is what Jesus did, uh, kind of in a nutshell, as it was explained to, maybe it was simplified because I was a kid, um, but I feel like you hear that an awful lot. That's the gospel. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins, and uh, so that we can, we can go to heaven. We don't have to go to hell. Um, but here is Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, before he's died or done anything, and he's saying, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So it struck me to think, why, what, what is the gospel then? If it's not specifically about Jesus dying, what is Jesus talking about here in the gospel? And uh, so I think when we step back and we paint this picture of what is Jesus getting at here, uh, and then what is generating so much excitement, because this was enough. This message was enough to launch his ministry, his teaching, to get people excited, to drive thousands and thousands of people out to listen to him, to infuriate the religious leaders of the time. This message is, was enough to do that. And so let's, let's dig into that a little bit to see what was going on, what he was doing. And then I think when we add the cross as the, kind of the capstone of everything, I think it's going to kind of take on some new life for us here. Um, so that's what we're going to try to do in our brief time together right now. Um, so first thing we want to look at is the kingdom. That's the main focus, I think, of this statement that Jesus is talking about because uh, he spent most of his ministry talking about the kingdom of God and um, painting the picture for the people on this is what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, and I think why that makes sense for Jesus is uh, we're all looking for a kingdom, a place to call home. Everybody's looking for a place to fit in and belong, kind of looking back at you know the Genesis and where God created us to live in in harmony with him as a family as when I mean, you think of a kingdom as just a, a ruler and then his influence over an area or a set of subjects or property, and so in the kingdom of God is god's influence over matter over the world. And so that got broken in the garden. Man was removed from that kingdom, from that influence, because man decided that we wanted to be independent or rule ourselves. And so uh, since then, man has been kind of trying to find its way and develop its own kingdom. And then particularly in this uh, day in Jesus' time, there were kind of conflicting ideas of kingdom being Rome or kingdom being a Jewish kingdom. Was it a political kingdom? Um, then, of course, there's kind of just the worldview, philosophical side of things where people just want to do what they want to do. And it's kind of setting themselves up as their own kingdom, kingdom of pleasure, the kingdom of their own happiness. Um, and so in this environment, Jesus comes in and says, hey, let me tell you about God's kingdom. I think that resonates with us today because people are doing the same thing. We do the same thing. We try to find places where we fit, where we feel like uh, the the rules of the kingdom meld with our way of seeing the world. Uh, 
the world outside of these, the church walls or outside of the church family, they're looking for a place to fit in too. That's the core of, of Life Fellowship's mission, right? Is be, to be a place where people can fit in and see the kingdom of God at work, to see how God's love, how God's family, how God's community looks in this context as in a contrast to the rest of the world. And so that's, that's the world that, that Jesus is preaching into um, when he's talking about the kingdom. Um, the first thing I think we, it's important to draw out of Jesus' message about the kingdom is that it is now. And again, this is a really broad overview, so I'm not going to pull up like 20 scriptures that we can go through and say, okay, well, Jesus talked about the kingdom all these times, and we can pull these things out. So in the next week, Reggie is going to be talking more specifically about the the individual passages, like in the uh, Sermon on the Mount that he's going going into. Um, so I'm going to do these broad kind of brush strokes, and then I'll leave it to you guys to go through. And if you want to dig into the Sermon on the Mount and, and see all the fine details, I encourage you to do that. But the one of the big things that sticks out about the kingdom is it is now. Uh, in this verse here in Mark, uh, Jesus says specifically the kingdom of God has come near. And the Greek word here is not just near as in like, oh, it's not here yet, it's, but it's close. It's more of near as in like it's, it's actually here near. So don't read that like, oh, it's close, but not here yet. Um, it is now. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about in parables, and so he shares a lot of stories about the kingdom of God. And in agricultural terms, he'll bring it up. He'll say, it's like a field where the, the owner sowed good seed and bad seed was also sown into it. And then the good seed and the bad seed grew up together. He would say uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, uh, which is a really small seed, but when the plant grows up, it's big enough for birds to perch in it. Um, I think these agricultural terms kind of paint a now and later kind of reality with the kingdom where it exists now in a small form. It is a seed. It is a it, it is present in a small way, but it will grow. It will continue to uh, find its full form. But it is here. And that's the, the thing to walk away with. It's not something that is not existent and then all of a sudden exists. Okay, It's a seed which exists now in a small form and then grows and expands. I think this is particularly different if you just read Kingdom of Heaven and you think, oh, that's heaven. He's talking about heaven. Uh, because heaven is oftentimes thought of, that's the place I go later after I die or later at the end of time. When really, no. If you, if you have that image of the Kingdom of Heaven, when you read through these scriptures and these parables about, that Jesus tells, uh, it, they won't make sense straight up. So the kingdom of God is now, and that's exciting because uh, a lot of the Israelite people particularly were waiting for God's kingdom to kind of come alive for them or to show up because there's a lot of prophecy uh, back behind that. Um, another point that is different or marks Jesus' comments is that uh, the kingdom is open for all. The kingdom is inclusive the kingdom is for the rejected, the meek, the poor, 
the left out, the kingdom is open for them. And this is really flipping not only the way the world works, because the world says the most educated, the, mo- the wealthiest, uh, the most powerful, those are the people who are ruling, who are in power. Uh, and even, even the religious leaders of that day, they were uh, about being educated or about being able to follow the rules and understand the scriptures. You had to have this level of, of understanding or kind of um, just skill to be able to navigate the religious structure of the day. And there were just people, that everyday people, who were not good at that. They were left out. They were not good enough to go to the rabbinical school or to, you know, whatever. They just couldn't cut it. And so the religious leaders of the day looked down on them and left them out. Uh, but Jesus came in and said, no, it's for you. You guys are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And not only you guys are going to be in the kingdom of heaven, you guys are going to be higher up than the religious leaders. You guys are closer to the kingdom than the religious leaders. Um, so this is a, re- a refreshing thing, a refreshing teaching that is new to the, the population of the time. I think it's also refreshing for us, honestly, to be able to uh, embrace the inclusiveness of the kingdom, that it's not something that we have to... Um, it's not something we have to attain for ourselves because uh, Jesus says in his teachings, you're not able to attain it for yourself because um, the meekness, the weakness, the, the powerless. Um, and that leads us to this next point that Jesus makes is repentance. So he focuses on the kingdom and what the kingdom is and who is it for. And then he talks about Repentance. So, again, Mark 1, 15, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And so, uh, repentance, the word itself, I know we often define it as turning from, and we apply it to, like, turning from sins. But uh, if we just stop there and just kind of interpret it as, don't do bad things, that's what repent means. Repent means to not do bad things anymore. We miss out a little bit of the nuance of that word as well because it, it also means to think differently, to change the way you think about something, to, to reconsider. And I think this is important, for, particularly in this context, because when Jesus is painting the picture of the kingdom of God, he's turning it on its head. He's upsetting the apple cart as far as what the people thought of the, of the kingdom and what religious leaders thought of the kingdom so he's saying, repent. You guys got to change the way you're thinking about God and how he made the world and your p- place in it. Um, and a big part of that is heart overrules. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about the heart and the intention behind who you are and what you do. Uh, of course, the religious leaders of, the, of that day were all about the rules. They had a very complex structure of do's and don'ts, and when you do this one thing, you have to do it this way, this particular way, because this is all based on not only the generations of uh, the law of Moses from thousands of years ago, but it's also based on generations of modifications and traditions that are built upon that. And so it became this really dense, heavy list of rules and regulations that they followed, and that was how they judged who was 
essentially, you know, your status in the religious order, how, how godly you were, your rank, so to speak. Uh, and this is really, I think, a human reaction. Like, we, we can read about it as saying, oh, this is the religious leaders, and that's their um, uh, jam. But really, this applies to us just as much, because it's just a human reaction to want to fix ourselves and handle things ourselves. It makes us feel good when we know that we're in control of our own destiny and we are in control. There's something we can do to correct an error. If we realize that we are powerless in a situation, that makes us anxious as, as people, generally. People don't like to be powerless in their own situation. They don't like to be helpless. They like to be able to engage and have some sort of impact on their, their destiny. Uh, and so that's an that's important thing to highlight, that this isn't just a religious leader's uh, mistake, because we make this mistake all the time in our, in our own lives, too. Uh, and this is in contrast to what Jesus, how Jesus talked about righteousness and repentance, because uh, he was all about surrender over achievement. Uh, it was not about um, if you accomplished perfection or how well you followed a set of rules. It was about your heart and the effort you put into following him. Because uh, you look at the rest of what he would teach about, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It was about not only for the meek and the weak and those left out who acknowledge their own inadequacies, it was about God coming in and filling those inadequacies, fulfilling himself and, and being able to change hearts and bring about that righteousness on God's terms, not on our own uh, effort or volition. And so uh, sometimes we kind of talk about works versus faith in terms of uh, salvation. Like, you know, are we saved by our works? Or are we saved by our faith? Uh, in, this, in this kind of context, Jesus would say, you're asking the wrong question because if you look at the rules structure of things, the, the religious leaders were constantly talking to Jesus about the rules. They, you read most of their interactions started with, is it lawful to X, Y, and Z, to do this thing? Or is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And whenever they'd bring up something like that, Jesus would either like ignore their, their question completely or flip it on its head and not really answer it. He'd either answer it with another question to them or he'd, he'd twist it in a different way that was not helpful for what they were trying to do. So they'd say something like, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he would say something to the effect of, who cares where you pay taxes? Give God what's due to him. And so which, which makes no sense for the tax collectors or the, the religious leader's question because Jesus was saying, you're asking the wrong questions. It's not about what you do to who and the, the nits and nats about your law. It's about the heart with which you do it. Um, and so when we start thinking in terms of, you know, well, what, what do I need to do to be saved? Uh, how, do I, how do I get to heaven? If that's kind of the way we approach it, it's... Uh, it's starting just at the very beginning of starting with the wrong question because Jesus always said, it's about your heart. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow God and be a part of his kingdom, 
just start living, living like you're part of that kingdom, and he will come in and fulfill what you're trying to do. He will fulfill the righteousness for you. Um, which I think in this sense is when he sets up the cross. Because he tells the people that it's not on their own power that they're able to accomplish these things, that they can rely on God and ask God, and he will fulfill that for them. And they would say, yes, they believe that, and they'd follow him because of this teaching, but they didn't understand that what that meant was, in three years, Jesus would actually go to the cross and pay for those sins and rise from the dead and fulfill that that promise that essentially he's teaching about now uh, at the very beginning of his ministry. Um, so why is this important? I think it's important because how we understand the kingdom and our place in it changes the way we live out our faith. Uh, we can either be empowered to live the way that God designed uh, and not judge on an impossible standard, or we can kind of look at Jesus' ministry and try to break it down into rules and regulations still and try to hold ourselves accountable to these rules and, okay, Jesus says to love people. Okay, I gotta love people. And that's that's how I fulfill my place in the kingdom. That's how I get to heaven is because I love people. Okay, check. Um, so if we still apply the old mentality to Jesus' teaching, we can kind of ignore the grace and the relief and the joy that comes in when we're not bound by rules and regulations, it's not about a checkbox anymore. It's about a heart and about the freedom and, and grace that we have in that. I think of it like a kid uh, pretending to be an astronaut, right? If you think of, imagine there's a kid who just loves the stars. He, he looks up at night and he's just enchanted by space. And so his favorite thing to do is to pretend to be an astronaut. And he plays for hours on end pretending to be an astronaut. He's got the, you know, the box on the head with the hole cut out, and he's running around his yard. That kid has no idea how to be an actual astronaut. Like, he doesn't know how to, like, calculate telemetry and to navigate a shuttle and aerodynamics and the endurance and all this, all the things that kind of make astronauts these elite, you know, pilots. That kid knows nothing about that. But that doesn't stop him from playing with all of his heart and pretending and hoping one day he will become an astronaut and enjoying the, the, the passion that he has for space and uh, the science and all that. Like, that just fills that kid up with joy, right? That kid does not go to bed at night thinking, oh man, I wish I could have pretended to be a better astronaut today. I didn't, I messed up. I was outside playing in the yard. I'm sure that's not what astronauts really do. No, he doesn't, he's not harsh on himself. That kid doesn't, doesn't judge himself on the actual standards to be an astronaut because he knows, he's just, he's just occupied with his love for being an astronaut in space. And I think to bring it, like, where are you going with this? We can be really hard on ourselves sometimes, even as Christians. We know that we're saved by faith. We know that it's Jesus' work on the cross that uh, is the redeeming factor of our lives. But we can still be harsh on ourselves. We can still hold ourselves up to these checkbox type of standards for our faith. 
that Jesus does, has no intention of holding us to because he knows that our righteousness comes from him and all that he cares about is that we are pretending to be little Jesuses as best as we can with all of our hearts and one day when he brings everything to fulfillment at the end of time, we will. We will be little Jesuses. And he, will, he has done that for us. And that's where the power of the cross comes to life. And he's removed the consequences of sin and death so that what we can do now, the kingdom of God is now, we can enjoy that now and it will never stop. It will never be stopped by sin. It will never be stopped by death because it's just going to keep going. And so we can look at the kingdom and we can look at uh, this mentality towards righteousness as uh, something we can relish every day. We can wake up and we say, we get another day to pretend like we're Jesus. We get another day to, to do our best, to uh, live like him and to not worry about really messing up because he's got that taken care of. Um, so I think... Hopefully, uh, when Reggie comes back and he's going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and some of the rest of the life of Jesus, uh, I think that will fall into place and hopefully uh, kind of color this idea of the kingdom and righteousness. Um, Again, if you want to look more specifically, read Matthew 5 through the uh, Sermon on the Mount or some of Jesus' other teachings, and uh, I think you'll start to see the themes of the kingdom and of the repentance and righteousness uh, pop out, hopefully in a, in a little bit new way. Um, that's it for what I have uh, prepared. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for inviting us into it and making a way for us to enjoy it and giving us freedom and grace that we can just love you with all of our hearts and that you will come in and you will make us into more than what we could be on our own and that you will fill us with your spirit. You will transform us. You will take us from uh, pretending to be like you and just trying our best to one day we'll be able to see the full fullness of your grace and your spirit in our lives. Thank you for the grace that you've given us each day and the fruit of that spirit that you've uh, blessed us with, that every day we can taste a little bit of the love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all the good things that you've poured out on us. Be with us as we leave here, and let us uh, taste some of that fruit today and tomorrow. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.